All right, so we're looking in Mark chapter 8, and it is high school Sunday day. So if you're in high school, there is a high school group today. We do it every other week. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 8, and maybe somebody can read for us if somebody wants to stand up and read real loud. There's not much. We're going to do this real brief. Um, We just want to make the progress through here so we can be to where we're supposed to be next week in Mark. So if somebody would like to read Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, that would be great. 27 through 30. Any readers in the room? All right, we got it right here. Uh, We have it right over here. Yep, 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Uh, yeah, that we're going to start right, stop right there. So that's good. So we are asking the question, who do, who do people say that I am? And so there you have some portraits of Jesus, portraits that people have painted through the ages. And uh, they have seen Jesus as all kinds of different ways. You have the Rasta Jesus. You have the really weak Jesus. You have the NRA Jesus. You have you have all kinds of Jesuses. Who do, who do people say that I am? And Jesus asked that question. So this is an artist's rendering of the place that he asked it. If you, you look at the passage we just looked at in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. So this is a rendition of Caesarea Philippi. What's Caesarea Philippi? Caesar Philip. So Philip the Caesar, this place is named after him. What happens there, if you can picture in your mind a picture of Israel, Israel is sort of oblong. It's long. And so if you go all the way to the top, to the headwaters of the Jordan River, you get to this place, Caesarea Philippi. And up there in Caesarea Philippi, what those are is all of these temples and shrines, all kinds of temples and shrines there. People in Israel, people in the surrounding area worshipped all kinds of gods. And there they all were. There was the pandemonium of the gods, all of them together. And so Caesarea Philippi. Um, here's a rendition of it today, a picture of it today. Um, we go to Israel about every three years. We haven't gone recently. We were supposed to go in year one of COVID. That didn't work. So we said, well, maybe next year, year two of COVID. That didn't work. We're probably going about this time next year. And, and when we go, we'll go to this place here, uh, Caesarea Philippi. We'll go there. And you can go into all of those shrines, and you can go into the caves. And when we get there, we'll read this passage, because Jesus took his disciples and went all the way north, 
goes out of his way, really, goes all the way north and stands in front of all of these shrines, all of these gods, and asks them, who do people say that I am? It's a place where people worship many gods. And in the midst of all of the gods, Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And people in Jesus' day said all kinds of things. When Paul ends up in Athens, we're going to talk about Athens in just a moment. We're going to have somebody from Athens sitting in this chair in just a moment. When he was in Athens, he said that he discovered the unknown God, that there were all of these shrines there. And the Greeks, who had formed much of the culture of the day, they worshipped individual freedom. Not unlike people in the United States, we worship individual freedom. They worshipped individual freedom, and they were devoted to reason. And so the gods in the worldview of ancient Greece affected these people. These people were affected by that. Uh, they knew all of the gods, Pandora. You know who Pandora was? Pandora was the, the, first, the first woman god. And uh, they say, the Greeks said it took all of the gods to create Pandora the woman. I guess they thought she was complicated. <laughs> Everybody needed to give their input. All the gods trying to figure out making her. And so, so then there's these forces. They, they, they see the forces of nature, the forces of creation, and they turn them into gods. We call it Greek mythology. They called it reality. That's how they believed the universe worked. They really believed these things. They believed these gods, and they worshipped these gods, and they did things to try to appease those gods, to keep those gods off their back. And so you have these forces, and when they create these gods, which come out of their imaginations, really, they're heroic in stature, they're, they're outstanding in beauty, they outlast the mortals. But, but the Greek gods, the Greek gods had human weaknesses often assigned to them. They were jealous, they were petty, they were spiteful, they were envious. It was only Zeus living on Mount Olympus that was supposed to be just. And so um, what gods did they worship there? And they had more. We're going to go through some of the Greek ones, but they had more than the Greek ones. They had tribal gods and personal gods and regional gods and, and Baals and Ashtoreths and Moleks. And so they worshipped Hades. And you want to keep Hades off your back. Hades later will be called Pluto, but Hades is the god of the dead. So if you want to give fruit to any god, you might want to give it to Hades so he doesn't get mad at you. You had Hester, the, the, the sister of Zeus. She was the goddess of households. Athena, which, you know, you get Athens, who she came from, they say she came from Zeus's forehead. And she's supposed to be wisdom. And you worship wisdom. And so Athens becomes a place that's known for worshiping wisdom, human wisdom, and always asking the questions. And it's good to always ask the questions, but at some point you have to come up with the answers. There's Apollo. They worshiped Apollo there. Apollo drove the chariot. He was a music maker worshiped by the poets. Aphrodite. Aphrodite is the goddess of what? Of what? Love. Love. Aphrodite. The love goddess. Artemis, twin sister of Apollos. 
the moon goddess, and the, the rural people, the rural people liked her. She was the vegeta- uh, yeah, the vegetarian goddess. She was the, <laughs> the goddess of vegetation. <laughs> Hypnos, who was Hypnos? The god of what? Yeah, the god of sleep. I might worship that god a little bit. <laughs> On this side. <laughs> um, you have here the, 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 the god of wine. They had, they had lesser gods and greater gods. They had gods of poetry, gods of dancing. The, the, Romans, the Romans changed the names when they conquered. They changed the names of the gods, but they, they keep the same ideas. But we're more, that's Athens, and in just a moment, somebody's going to sit right there from Athens and tell you about Athens and tell you what's going on in Athens right now. But we're more sophisticated than that. We would never worship all of these things, right? But we have traditions that, that grow out of these. Valentine's Day. Anybody here celebrate Valentine's Day? I got married around Valentine's Day. Um, but Valentine's Day actually is an old Roman feast, and it was a little bit looser than... Uh, <laughs> than be my valentine. Well, I guess you could be my valentine for the moment kind of a thing. Mistletoe, you know, that came up, the druid beliefs in sexual purity. And birthday cakes, you know, birthday cakes have their origin in appeasing gods. Did you know that? And the candles on the birthday cakes are appeasing the gods also because you put the, you put the candles on the cake and the smoke rises up. Smoke rising up was always seen as prayer. So you would light fires. When they, they do these worship ceremonies, they're lighting fires, and, and the smoke is going up and going into the nostrils of the gods. And so birthday cakes are going up to Artemis, offering these, these offerings to Artemis. June bride, Juno, goddess of, of marriage. That's why people are June brides. Oh, it'll be a June bride. Well... You, you were June bride to celebrate Juno because you don't want to get the gods mad at you, so you just celebrate it during their, during their time. The tooth fairy, why, why did they hide teeth? Well, they did it to hide it from the people who wanted your tooth to do like voodoo on you. Cigars at birth. You have a baby, you get a cigar. Well, well the Mayan fathers, they would, they would smoke that, and the smoke would go up and ascend to the gods, and they would thank the gods for the child. And so... Everything ends up being a God and having a God, and it's there in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus stands up. I think I wrote a lot of these down. Let's see if we did. Uh, no. So um, uh, Thursday, Thursday, Saturday, Saturn's Day, Monday is the moon day, Sunday is the Sunday. You worship the sun. Why did people worship the sun, the moon, the stars? Like, it seems so silly. Well, if you're an ancient person and you don't really understand an awful lot of things, what you know is that the sun, if you don't get sun, your crops aren't coming up. What they understood about the moon was that the moon sort of set the seasons and set the seasons of your life. And so they would, they would worship those things, seeing them as being more powerful than them, more in control than them. So then Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And they immediately said, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was dead. John the Baptist had his head chopped off. And yet people are saying that, you know, Jesus is John the Baptist. 
Well, it would have been John the Baptist come back from the dead. That would be scary. They could make a Netflix series out of that. The guy that comes back from the dead. Some said you're Elijah. Why? Because Elijah was the, the great powerful prophet. The one working works of power. And so some said, you know, you're Elijah. And Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah. So some were saying that maybe Jesus is the one who's coming before the Messiah, doing great miracles, doing great power works, and he's pointing the way to the Messiah. Other people in the Gospels, all of these are taken from the Gospel except for the last couple. Throughout the Gospels, they saw him as a prophet. Well, if you see him as a prophet, a prophet speaks for God. So if Jesus is speaking for God, you should, re, you should believe what he's saying for God. So some people said, well, he's one of the prophets. I find a lot of people still say that. You know, you talk to them about Jesus, and you go, well, what do you believe about Jesus? They go, well, I think he was a prophet. Well, if he was a prophet, do you believe what he said? Well, what do you mean? Well, what he said about himself, do you believe? Well, what did he say? Well, we're going to look in a minute what he said about himself. Because it's who do you say that I am? Uh, who do people say that I am? Who does Jesus say that he is? Some people said he was the carpenter. You find that in the Gospels. Who do people say that I am? They said, isn't this the carpenter? Well, in that case, calling him the carpenter in that context means, you know, he's nothing really special. He's just one of us. You know, some are carpenters, some are fishermen, some do housework, some are shepherds, some work with stone, and some do different things. He's sort of one of us. Not, nothing, nothing special about Jesus. And in the context of that, they're really looking at Jesus being nothing really special. Like, what's, what's so different about him? Uh, they said, isn't this Mary's son? Well, flesh and blood, that he's, uh, he's a human. He's not, he's not God. He's a human. You know, this is Mary's son. Like, where did, where did this guy get all of this wisdom? Some people said he was out of his mind. Does anybody know in the Gospels who said he was out of his mind? His family. Right, his family said he was out of his mind. If you're here this morning and your family has said you're out of your mind, raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody got anything in common with Jesus here? <laughs> He's out of his mind. Uh, they said that he was possessed by Beelzebub, that he was possessed by demons. And who was it that said he was possessed by demons? Yeah, the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders. They said, that guy's just demon-possessed. In the Gospels, it's, he's called good teacher. Someone comes up to him, good teacher. Well, did he really believe he was a good teacher? The person who was coming up saying good teacher, did he really, did he really believe that or did, was he just using that? They called him a blasphemer. Why did they call him a blasphemer? Because he was declaring himself to be God. Some people say, well, nowhere does you know, Jesus declare himself to be God. Then how come the religious leaders were trying to kill him saying he was declaring himself to be God? They said that he was a lawbreaker that he broke the law, the, the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, the law with a capital L, the, out of the first five books of the Bible, out of the Torah. Karl Marx said that uh, Jesus is the opiate of the people. This kind of puts us to sleep, puts us into a dream, uh, gets us hoping for something that never materializes. Christopher Hutchkins, he says that his influence is poison that the influence of Jesus is poison. Of course, uh, darkens, uh, you know, the God delusion. So, um, but what did, uh, what did Peter say? What's the answer here? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. What, uh, 
What caused Peter to say that? Was that just an emotional response? Uh, Keep in mind where he is. And Peter's not unknowing about all of these gods up there. And Banias, they call it today. If you go with us, we say, where are we going this morning? We're going to Banias, which is Caesarea Philippi. Now, he might not have known all the intricate things about all of the gods that were there. And there were probably some gods that were there that he was unaware of, but he was pretty aware of what's going on around him, just like we're pretty aware of what's going on around us. We know what's happening. We know what people are into. We know know what's going on. And he knew what was going on, and they must have wondered why Jesus was bringing them to Caesarea Philippi to begin with. What's he bringing us up here for? Why are we going up there? And there in front of all of the gods, all of those things that are worshipped, all of those ideas, all of those idols, Jesus stands up in front of them all and he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who am I? Who am I in comparison to all of this? Who am I? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the son of the living God. Why did he say that? Well, because he had seen his mother-in-law get healed by Jesus. Jesus came into his house and healed his mother-in-law, which meant that Peter's mother-in-law was in his house goes on in the Gospel of Mark, and you see all of these sick people and demonized people, that Jesus heals the sick and casts out the demons. Peter saw the man with leprosy healed. Well, they thought leprosy could never be healed. Well, he saw Jesus heal the leper, the paralyzed man. Jesus, Jesus heals the paralyzed man. Remember, they let him down through the roof? They took the roof and let the guy down, and Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. And they were like, what, you know? He said, your sins are forgiven, first of all. And the Pharisees, well, who can say your sins are forgiven? And Jesus said, the one who can say your sins are forgiven is the one who can say to that paralyzed man, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And so that you know that I can tell him that his sins are forgiven, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. And the guy walks. Sort of a miracle that he, that he walked, because it took us a long time to learn how to walk. So not only does the, the healing happen in all of his body, but he's able to walk. So there's that miracle as well. It's sort of a double miracle. And then he saw the man with the shriveled hand in the synagogue. And the Pharisees were there to see if he would do anything. And Jesus said, you guys, you guys want to know if I'm going to do anything. And they said, we do. And he said, I'm going to. Straighten out your hand. And the guy straightens out his shriveled hand and it opens up. Peter saw him casting out demons. He saw when the religious leaders said, you have a demon. That's why you're casting out demons. He saw Jesus calm the storm. He saw a dead girl come back to life from a distance. He saw a sick woman get healed who was in Jesus' proximity. He saw the healing of the feeding of the 5,000. He saw the healing of the Syrophoenician's woman, daughter, who was an outsider. He saw all of that. You know, later on, he'll see, uh, he'll see blind Bartimaeus, and he'll see Mary Magdalene delivered, and he'll see Malchus' ear come back when he goes to try to cut Malchus' head off and hits his ear, and Jesus picks up the ear off the ground And says, Peter, what are you doing? And puts the ear back on, and Peter sees it. He sees all of these things. But the most radical claim of all, after you look at all of those things that led Peter to say these things, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who do do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And here's what I've got to say about myself. This is quite the un-American statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And no one comes to the Father except through me. Because people who live in the United States do not like to be pigeonholed, and that sort of pigeonholes you. That is a very exclusive statement. And it not, not only is it, ex, it, it, is it exclusive, it's the only way to be included. The only way to have a relationship with the Father is to come through Jesus Christ. And Jesus made that statement. And so radical claims, and this is a radical claim, radical claims need radical responses. You see, we have this Banius, Caesarea Philippi, sort of casual approach of, well, you know, there's a lot of gods up here. There's a lot of shrines up here. You know, a lot of them, you know, people, people have their own shrine. They have their own thing. All roads lead to God. Jesus said, no. All roads don't lead to God. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds enlightened, but at the end of the day, it doesn't work. And so what's the radical response? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 34, and he tells his disciples, what you need to do is you need to come and follow me. You need to drop everything else. Verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No other way. That's so narrow. Well, when it comes to eternal life, it's probably good to be narrow. It's not good to be narrow about a lot of things. Christians are not supposed to be narrow-minded. In fact, I, I think that Christian people tend to be some of the most open-minded people because we come to Christ, and the first thing he does is he brainwashes us. He washes our brains, right? Anybody here need your brains washed out? Like, like get rid of that argument. When people say to you, you're just brainwashed, say, yes! <laughs> These are like filthy brains, like, yes, scrub, scrub, scrub. We should, we should make a song for that. We should do that. Lift our hands, scrub, 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 scrub these filthy brains. Yes. But when people come to Christ, we, we've been talking about this, you meet new people. You meet people who aren't like you. You meet people of all shapes and stripes and backgrounds and it begins to open up your mind. We're very open-minded. You know, what is the Lord doing? Who is he? What's he like? What are his people like? But when it comes to this issue of eternal life, of your death, and what happens to you forever after your death, it's good to be narrow-minded. It's good to be narrow-minded. On the other hand, conversely, it's not good to be so open-minded your brains fall out. And you can do that, too. So anyway, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, read on. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me in, in the gospel will save it. Now, here's a question you're supposed to answer. We looked at this last week. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You're supposed to answer that. No answer? Crickets. Okay, um, let's rephrase it. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, he said, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Banius, Caesarea Philippi, anything goes, all these gods, let's, let's worship Aphrodite, you know, sex time, you know, let's worship all these things. 
Well, there was an adulterous and sinful generation then too. And he said, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory with his holy angels. So I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me. 